0: When we walked in the doors to impact christian church six years ago we found a home because we found people who were partners in the gospel people that wanted to advance the kingdom you know we've never looked back because we've made relationships here that will carry on into eternity our other home is in westmanola louisiana where over 31 years ago a church body took a chance on a very broken couple and pointed us to Jesus, and our lives have never been the same since. When we got there, we met other couples like us, people who were pointed to Jesus and their lives were changed forever. And one of those couples was Alan and Lisa Robertson. And since that first day we met, we formed a partnership in the gospel. And even though we're separated by miles today, we have one goal, and that is to advance God's kingdom here on earth. So, Alan, come on up here. I want to have a prayer with you before you share with us. Father, thank you so much for giving us relationships on this earth that we can take on into eternity. The only things that we will be able to take into eternity. Thank you for Alan and Lisa, and thank you for Alan's uh, ability to share so concisely how to get the word out about your son and how one lost sinner can give that hope to another lost sinner. Be with him today, Father, as he shares. Thank you for our partnership in the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen and you need a podium there you go lay it down
1: thank you mac it's uh, a great blessing for us to be back here uh, at impact uh that um if you notice that was onekingdom.org uh is our website if you want to check out more about that i'll have a little more to say we'll also be around to answer some questions i want to introduce some friends uh from one kingdom that came with us on this trip we um we were, had the blessing last night of uh, sharing with the uh, elders and pastors here at this church uh, about our vision and, and hopefully some partnership we can uh, have with this church here as we try to reach people through One Kingdom. Uh, and Ryan and Miranda Lee, where are they at? There they are, right there. Um, these, uh, Ryan was the voice you heard on the video, and so uh, they uh, work for One Kingdom, and Ryan is in charge of our development. Absolutely. <laughs> Randy and JoNeil Kirby are here as well, and Randy's one of our elders, and Neil heads the National Marriage Ministry, so thank you very much for them. And I forgot to uh, introduce my much better half, uh, my soulmate, my travel partner, uh, my wife Lisa, who's in the sound booth back there helping me with the PowerPoint. So there's Lisa back there. If you were here a couple of years ago, you know we shared our testimony uh, that led to a book that we wrote called A New Season. And uh, so several of you bought those books, and I talked to some folks at first service that had been blessed by that, and that's why we wrote it. We're working on a new book, uh, and it's called Desperate Forgiveness. And uh, Focus on the Family is going to publish it for us uh, next year, and so we're excited about it. And today our writing partners happen to be from Colorado Springs, and they're here today, Steve and Lois Raby. Would you guys be recognized? Good friends of ours. Thank you very much. I told them that they'd come here. To hear me speak before they agreed to help write the book, they may not have done it, but they, on faith, they're here today, so that's a blessing. Uh, Mac was uh, was so correct to, in the fact that we have a special bond with them. And uh, the last time we were through this area, probably working on the book, with Stephen Lois, We uh, they actually flew. We all flew on the same plane together. We didn't know they were coming from you know Timbuktu, wherever they were doing CR. We were coming from somewhere else, and we wound up having a great visit at the airport. And uh, we got a picture together, you know, because now they spend as much time in airports as we do, and so it's great to be able to run across uh, some some soulmate partners for, of ministry. And then we had the blessing of flying out on the same plane, again, not knowing that we we're going to be able to do that, and so it's always a blessing for us to spend time with them. Uh, we helped Mac and Mary uh, as as partners, as, as brother and sister, uh, that when Mac mentioned 31 years ago, I was new to ministry, and yet... You know, we loved Mac and Mary already. They helped support us when I was in preaching school, so we had a relationship. And then when everything turned upside down for them, and finally Mac surrendered to God, we were there, and I was able to watch the transformation that God did in his life and in his family's life, and it was amazing. And it transformed our church, by the way, the entire culture of our church, uh, because God was going to use him in such a powerful way. As it turns out, just a few years after that, they were there to walk alongside Lisa and I when our world turned upside down. Our marriage was falling apart. It was in a very public way in a big church where I was the associate pastor. So you can imagine the difficulty of the moment. And yet Mac and Mary, along with Randy and Joe were there to walk alongside. And that's what we do in the kingdom of God. Is it not, church? We walk alongside one another. And it's through the darkest times that leads us to the better times, that leads us to helping other people. And so that's what we do. The reason Mac and Mary travel around the country doing what they do as well as Lisa and I is because we want people to know that Christ has transformed our lives and it can transform theirs. Um, whenever a few years, uh, ago we were doing a building project as many times you do, and we were upgrading our facility was in pretty bad shape. And so we upgraded the auditorium. And with that, they, the, uh, the folks that were decorating and the you know, folks that made it look really nice, they thought we needed a new pulpit because the old one was in pretty bad shape. And of course, at that time I was, I was preaching and, uh, so I didn't have a lot of input because I don't get in when people are designing stuff. I usually stay out of the, the you know, way, and so I didn't have too much input. I just had one request. Don't make it too big. You know, make it small enough because I like to get out and move around a little bit, you know? and so I didn't want something too big. Okay, we got it. Well, they commissioned Mac to build the new pulpit because you know his work. He's a great woodworker, and so they didn't get the message to Mac about the bigness of the pulpit. So when I come in on Sunday on the big unveiling of our new pulpit and everybody seeing all the work that's been done, I look down on the stage and it looked like the Starship Enterprise <laughs> is what I thought when I saw it. I literally could not span from side to side and it had all these panels. And it was a beautiful, you know, piece of art, but it wasn't what I wanted. And so everybody seemed to be excited about how pretty it was except for me. And I didn't want to be like Debbie Downer, you know, so I, I wasn't saying much about it. And I congratulated Mac on how, how pretty it was. And so I thought, man, I'm going to have to be working around the Enterprise, you know, for the next few years and preaching these sermons. Well, as it would happen, the providence of God was with me that day. Because the guy leading the opening prayer was not, it was about five feet tall. And so when he got behind the Enterprise, all that was sticking up was his nose on <laughs> top of his head. <laughs> Couldn't even reach the mic. And it was comical and people laughed just like you're doing. And we got through it and I was sitting here thinking, all right. I think I may have an end to send the Enterprise out into the you know, wild blue yonder. And, and it just so happened that the elder that was leading our communion that day was also a, a short guy, just a little taller than the first guy. And so all that was above was his face. And so when everybody saw it and those that built it, they realized that it was too big and too tall. So that pulpit lasted one Sunday uh, at Weiss Ferry Road. And then it went out to be a welcome center or something out in the universe of the church. Uh, and, and so I asked Mac, I said, Mac, would you build me something? I want something that reflects Christ and our commitment to the gospel. And so he did. And on the front of that pulpit, which it looks like a cross in the back is where the podium is, I was like, yes. When I preach, I want to stand behind the cross. And I want the gospel symbols and blaze them out there. This is who we are. What I didn't know was is that Mac put a special message for me on the back of that cross and reminded me... <laughs> He reminded me that my job was there to be God's spokesman. But see, when your partner in the gospel builds you something like that, he knows you, and he's your accountability, and he's there to remind you that it's not about you. And so as I stand before you today, and I'm grateful to be allowed the opportunity to speak, I want to be God's spokesman for us, that whatever he says through me today will impact our lives. My life was transformed Because my family's life was transformed. Transformation is what it's all about. And the transforming power of the gospel. A lot of people know our family. The Robertson family is is known across America. At first it was just like, oh man, bearded, redneck people that do duck calls and crazy antics. And that's what the show was kind of about. But then as people began to know us a little more and read some of the books, they said, wait a minute, there's a depth to these people. There's something more than just a crazy reality TV show. And so the very last time that we filmed uh, a show together, it was actually our clip show, we took a picture of the very last time together on Duck Dynasty. And so when people look at that picture, those that that respect us and those that love us and those that represent what we represent and stand for, they look at that family and they think, man, I love that. Three generations Uh, Love the Lord, committed to marriage and family, committed to the Word of God, and those are all great blessings for us. We're glad so many people know us in that way. But when I travel around the country and I speak about our family and how God raised us up, I love showing the picture of that same family in 1972. My mom was pregnant with Willie. Jace was just two years old, and I was about six years old. And when you look at that little family, It was a major struggle. Dad wasn't a Christian. Mom wasn't a Christian. Dad was living a heathen lifestyle. He was hardly ever there for us as we grew up. It was a a trial, a difficult time for our family. And so what I like to remind people is that 1972 family that I was a part of, it couldn't imagine that 2017 family. It couldn't imagine a time when people all over America would say, please tell us, What helped your family get to this point? Because at that time, we were struggling ourselves and had no idea what to do to get out of the mess that my mom and dad had created through their own unbelief. But through the transforming power of Christ, first my mom came out. And out of having thoughts of desperation and suicide, she said, you know what? I have to finally give myself to God and help him guide me through. If Phil never gets it right, I've got to get it right. That decision after another year or so, led to dad's decision. And then our lives were transformed and changed. And that led to what I call about a 40-year humility training. We, 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 we fished the Ouachita River. We tried to build duck calls. And we didn't have two nickels to rub together. But we had eternal life. We had the hope of the resurrection. We had life change all around us because mom and dad were sharing the gospel like crazy with anybody that would come into our midst. But we were living on a man of philosophy. I mean, we were getting our daily bread, but no more. But you know why that is, as I look back? Because God knew we were going to be on national television one day. He knew we were going to have the impact to stand before thousands and thousands of people. And he knew he didn't want us in that moment to think it was about us. That somehow we were such a big deal. Because we had been through 40 years of training to realize that every step of the way, God had provided So if he provided now a giant platform for us to talk about his love and his gospel, it wasn't going to be because we were great. It's because he was great. And that's exactly what he built in us. Last time Lisa and I were here, we shared with you our story from this little struggling couple from 1982 and high school sweethearts that lost their way and got back together and really not knowing what they were doing. Brought suitcases and suitcases and suitcases of baggage and damage into our relationship that all just exploded 15 years in. That young couple now becomes a family with two daughters and two son-in-laws and six grandchildren that we can't imagine life without. But that struggling couple, almost 20 years ago, they couldn't see ahead. They couldn't see around that mountain that was in front of them of doubt and possible divorce, and yet God, who is faithful, transformed us. I finally submitted myself fully to Christ and to my wife. She finally laid down, literally in our backyard, and desperately asked for God to come in and to change the woman that she was. And now we get the opportunity to travel all around the country telling people our story. Two beggars who found bread, and we found a lot of people that are hungry out there for a better way to do relationships. That's how God transforms us. One of my favorite verses in the Bible comes from Revelation chapter 12. And I love it because John is is painting this picture of exactly what we face every day and how we win. John said, I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night, the evil one, has been hurled down here with us. They, the believers, they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb, Christ, Passover Lamb. By the word of their testimony, they weren't afraid to tell others about the victories of Christ. They weren't stingy with the victories of God. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death so we realize that they were committed there was a passover lamb there was a personal story but then there's also a passionate commitment to christ and not just going through the motions and not punching cards but saying we are so committed that we will do anything including give up our lives if that's what it takes to advance the cause of the gospel one of my favorite people in the bible because i love the flawed ones because they're so much like me Uh, The sign you guys got out front is, like, totally awesome. I took a picture of it. Perfect people don't come in here, right? We're imperfect. That's why we're here. There's no perfect church or perfect person. There is a perfect Savior that gives us the opportunity for salvation. Her name is Rahab, and you find her in Matthew 1 and Luke 3 in the lineage of Christ, along with some other scandalous, scandalous women who had difficult past, and yet because of God, He's showing us that he can do all things, even in the lineage of Christ. We read about her in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Jewish Hall of Fame. And we read about her in James chapter 2 in the same breath as Abraham, the father of the faithful. Rahab, the prostitute from Jericho. We read about her in Joshua chapter 2 and Joshua chapter 6. You remember the story. The Israelites are coming. And now they're going to reclaim the territory that God had told Abraham years before it would be theirs. So they come to the first major structure, the first major test, and it's this big city of Jericho with these huge walls. And Joshua, even though he believes in God with all of his heart, he's wondering what are they thinking inside the walls. And any commander would do that. He was trained as a military man. And so he sent in two spies to find out what the people were saying. And they wound up, of all places, where would you go to find out what people are saying? They went to a brothel run by a woman named Rahab. That's where you go to find secrets, by the way. And so that's where they went. And so she, this woman, who I'm sure they were totally unexpected, not only told them what everybody was thinking, our hearts are melting in fear, we know that you guys are from God, and then she made a profession of faith to them. She said, I know that your God, the God of Israel, is the God of heaven and the God of earth. And because of that, I melt in fear. She made a profession. She was like, I believe. And then, out of fear, she said, can you save us, me and my family? You know, she's not married. She has no family of her own. But she's got mom and dad, brothers and sisters, nieces and nephews. So they cut a deal with her. They said, here's the deal. You help us. You hide us so we can get back and give a report to Joshua. And your entire family will be saved as long as they're under your roof. Can you imagine how hard that was for Rahab to keep that group together for weeks? Have you ever had family in for more than three days? You remember what Benjamin Franklin said, right? Your guests and family are like fish. They begin to stink after three days. I think there's probably some truth to that, right? So she's got all these people there, and they're waiting for whatever whatever's going to happen, and then all of a sudden the show starts, the marching show one day, two day, three days. How many times does she get questioned by her family? Are you sure about this? We're all gathered up here. Are you sure this is going to happen? And yet this woman, this prostitute, a woman now of faith, says stay put they asked her to hang a scarlet cord outside of her window because we know that she let the spies down outside of her window and they said if we see that cord we'll know that you have done what you said you were going to do now I don't believe it was any accident that it was a scarlet cord I believe that was a reminder not just for Rahab but also for the people of Israel remember when they came out of Egypt and when they left there that that fateful night whenever the angel of death passed over the land, they were told to take a Passover lamb, a lamb without blemish, you slaughter it, you take the blood, and you wipe it on the doorpost. And that was going to symbolize a Passover lamb later that would die on a cross that would take away all sin. And so all throughout history, we see this crimson gospel, this blood that had to be shed for us to be saved. And to this very day, it's still saves us and so the key is when that story of Jesus Christ no matter where you were in history intersects your story for Rahab one day she's running the brothel two guys show up and her life has changed because now she has to act on that belief first she has to have it then she has to act on it and then she changes her legacy she winds up of course being saved She winds up having a family of her own. She winds up having a son named Boaz who marries a woman named Ruth who had her own problems. And two generations later comes King David, one of the greatest kings in all of Israel. A woman's faith changed her because she believed in God. And she believed he could do all things. That happens in our lives. Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, a divine human hybrid born of a woman to save mankind, came to this earth. He came to this earth to save us because his blood, his submitted sinful life changed us. It gave us the capacity for all sin to be removed. Think about all the sin just represented in this room this morning, probably committed this day or this weekend. Multiply that out to everybody on earth living today. Multiply that out to everybody that's ever lived or ever will live. That's how powerful the blood of Jesus is. It has the capacity to take away all that sin. Anyone that commits to him. We know the Bible tells us that God doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. That can happen because of the power of the cross. Not only that, but they put him in a tomb, but he didn't stay there. Instead, he became a glorified risen Lord because he now represented hope as a glorified man, and yet he was God. That changed everything. I've, I've stood before a lot of caskets. I've stood before a lot of, in Louisiana, they're four-foot holes because we can't go down too deep because of the water. And I've seen people look over in that hole and think, we're all going to be there one day. It's sobering without the hope of the resurrection. I look in that hole and think, this grave can't hold me because my Lord came out One day he says, you will come out renewed for eternity. And in heaven, he went back to the right hand of the Father. He is a mediating brother giving us hope. He's our representative, a glorified representative in heaven. And he's not only your defender, but he's your reminder that we will live in heaven as glorified men and women. And he says, look, I'm not going to leave you there to languish forever. When the time is right, when the number is right, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to gather up. Then he becomes a returning king, lord, and brother to gather up his family. And we're going to live together for eternity. That's the power of the one story, the gospel, and what it does in our lives. And it's powerful because it transforms and it changes. Now, not only does it change me, but it puts a passion inside me. So It's not just one story, but it's one fire inside of me, and it's the passion to tell other people his story. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is the, it was my passage, sort of our class passage when I was in seminary, it was was Jeremiah 20 verse 9, and Jeremiah said, if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, and there were a lot of people that said, please don't, Jeremiah, you are such a downer. He was not a popular preacher, prophet. He said, if I do this, his word is still in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I don't care whether you like the message or not. It is the message from God. And it is a fire and a passion that I have to share. I admire men like Jeremiah. We're living in a culture and time where it's not always easy to be popular, especially in our culture, to speak truth. And yet I either have the passion and the fire to do it or I don't. You remember when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus and those two disciples came alongside and Jesus began, they didn't recognize him, but he began to share with them from the prophets all the way forward about what God had done to lead up to this moment. And then all of a sudden they recognize him and he's gone, poof. You remember what they said? Were your hearts not burning inside you when you heard this message? That's what the gospel does. It sets a fire in us. And then, of course, the evil one spends all of his time to try to put out the fire. That's what he does. He's been hurled down to take away your fire. I saw that transformation. I saw my dad go from being a heathen who was abusive to my mother and dismissive of us as sons, turn into not only a family man that loved his family, but also John the Baptist pointing people to Christ. And I mean, he wanted everybody to know what he now knew that salvation was possible. And I dare say today, not to his credit, but to God's, he's led thousands and thousands of people to Christ because he has been committed, and he still is. This morning as I'm here, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's probably baptizing some people afterwards, and people now come from all over the country because of a TV show because they want to hear what this man has to say. That's what God does. He changes, he transforms. We need that passion, and sometimes we lose our way. I understand My fire has run low before. I remember I was about 10 years in the ministry at Whitesbury Road, and my fire was, it was low. I mean, I just wasn't sure about what I was doing. I'd gotten sort of complacent and comfortable. I'm thinking about my career, and is this where I need to be? And it all started to become about out. I needed that pulpit that it wasn't about me. And all of a sudden, God sent in the person to light my fire again world radio was having a a 40th year celebration so they brought in some speakers world radio speakers from around the country and these speakers are are people that are on the radio and that's what that's what we do we basically connect radio airtime with these people so that they can preach the gospel in their own language and this man named isaac day a little short small african like most of them are he comes in there and he begins to inspire when he talks about what he does every day. And I'm on the radio and his country is 94% Muslim and yet he's still preaching the gospel under the threat to his life, but he would never stop because that's what God's called him to do. And I'm sitting there just thinking, I want to be this guy. And then I wind up going to Africa and I'm with him and I'm watching him preach and he preached himself up to a nosebleed. I was like, no, that's preaching when you preach yourself to a nosebleed <laughs> without a higher elevation or anything. He just did it. And I thought man I want that passion back in me and you know what all I had to do was say father give me that passion back and he did because of this man my brother and now my close friend Isaac has started a school in Liberia where he's gone back to a war-torn country they were having a civil war over scraps and yet he comes back in and he says this is where I want to spend the rest of my life on earth building up my own home country so we started a school that not only teaches men how to preach the gospel, but also how to be farmers and ag men and raise chickens and pigs and, and build a farm where you can not only feed your family and the church, but then you can turn that into a business and show Liberia that prosperity is a great path to people's hearts and opening their eyes to, instead of staying in poverty to realize that we, we can submit to the king who owns the universe and own it all. And it's a passionate ministry that I want to be a part of. And One Kingdom is right there to support it. Let me give you the last thought, and then we'll be done. We only have one story and one fire, but it really is about One Kingdom. It's about connecting partners together. I share with you about Mac and Mary and Lisa and I, and we don't see each other that often, but we are partners in the gospel until the Lord takes us away, always. Every conversation picks up on the last one. That's what partners do in the gospel. That's why we're here talking with this church because we've got church partners around the world that help us to be able to get this ministry done. Maybe you can't get over there to Indonesia to help, but we've we got some people there. Let's do that together. Maybe you can't get food packets where you want to in Kenya. We know some guys. Let's work together and figure out how to do that. That's what partnership is about, and it's about inspiring people through the gospel but also helping people in their needs. I want to tell you a quick story about a, a woman, young woman named Karina She is uh, from Nicaragua, and Karina came to West Monroe by an interesting route and spent about six weeks or so with my brother, Jace, and his wife, Missy. She was in Nicaragua. She was orphaned from an early age. She was raised by her grandmother, who then died when she became a teenager. And so then it was just her and her sister. But there was one of our world radio speakers, one of our One Kingdom ambassadors named Esteban, which is a wonderful man that we've been with in the field many times, And because he was preaching there in Nicaragua, she became a part of his church family. And so he stepped in and took that role. And so did the church and surrounding these sisters and helped them. He gave her guidance. He helped her to work on her grades because he said, look, if you want to escape out of this poverty, you're going to have to get an education. And because of contacts I have, you can probably get that education in the U.S. And that's exactly what happened. But before she could get her visa and paperwork, Nicaragua went into government chaos, as many of these countries will do, because they fight over scraps instead of building infrastructure for their countries, and most of them are godless anyway, and this is what happens. So here's this poor little 17, 18-year-old girl who has a pathway now to continue her education, but because of the country problems that she has in Nicaragua, she goes next door to Costa Rica, gets her paperwork, tries to come back home, and they say, no, we've closed the borders. Nobody back in whether you're a citizen here or not. And then she's totally alone. She knows, she sees where she wants to go, but she has no way to get there. Until Estaven connects with our guys at One Kingdom who connect her with my brother who says, sure, she can come live with us and give her that stability until she goes to college in Minnesota. And that's exactly what happened. Now this girl, Karina, who none of us in the Robertson family knew a few months ago, has become a part of our family she's a sister but she's also now feels like one of our daughters you see what god does through people and connection and ministry that's what our ministry is about it's about finding those people out there the one as we've been singing about and talking about this morning who can impact and change culture i want to close with a passage in hebrews chapter 12 because it's really what kingdom work is all about you have come to mount zion To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Have you ever thought about that? That beyond our sight, in another realm, there are thousands and thousands of angels that are excited about what you and I do on a daily basis. The Bible tells us when someone comes to Christ, there's rejoicing by the angels in heaven. There's an entire species of some being that rejoices when good things happen in your life and mine. That's exciting. To the church of the firstborn, that's us, whose names are written in heaven, forever, saved, not condemned. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. All those in the past before the cross. We know from Hebrews they were made perfect. By the blood of Christ. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. To the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of angels. That same blood that was symbolized over the doorpost, but that dripped off of Calvary. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, one kingdom, that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, fire represents two things depending on where your heart is today. If you're not right with Christ and you're fearful and you have doubts about him, about your life, about anything, then that fire represents judgment. Just like on Mount Sinai when all the children of Israel were there and they're worshiping Baal and they look up and they were like, what? Fire of judgment. But if you're like me, an imperfect son of God who has committed my life to Christ and has my name written in heaven, I see that consuming fire as one that will burn away and refine and continue to grow me up to be more like him every day. And that's usually not done through ease and comfort. That's done through difficulty and doubt and wondering and yet saying, I'm not sure where this is going to turn out. I'm in a terrible trial, God. It's it's painful, but I trust in you. And I know that fire is making me more like you every day. That's the consuming fire that I bow down to in the one kingdom of God. And so this morning, it starts with us. One kingdom, our mission as a ministry is to preach the gospel to every man, in his own, every man and woman in their own language around the world. But that starts right here with you guys. You guys call yourselves impact Christian church. Are you having one is the question. Are you being impacted by the gospel in your own heart? Is that fire low or is that fire burning high? Those are questions only you and I can answer individually and the Holy Spirit can convict us and remind us. And so today, this morning, as we close, I want to challenge you in your own heart and life to reflect on where you are. As a son or daughter of the Almighty, is my heart where it needs to be? Have I never embraced Christ and become a Christian? then you're just at the starting point of where this goes. You're now on that first time and saying, you know what? Something about the word today has impacted me. Today's the day I finally make the crossover and become a son or a daughter and become a part of that kingdom I described. I don't know about you, but knowing my name is written in heaven and knowing I'm going to be there is pretty inspiring. And it helps me to impact other people. Maybe there's been something in your life you just need to give up to the Almighty. I've already seen a couple down just giving them stuff already today. That invitation is always open. And we want to do that as we stand after my prayer. Father, I thank you so much for the gospel of your son Jesus, for the impact that it's had on my life, my family's life. Father, I, I still am sorry and ask forgiveness for every sin, for every bad thought, for every, everything that's not you but me. And I pray you continue to cleanse me through my mediator, my brother, who's right there next to you this morning, speaking a better name for me. I pray, Father, for anyone here that their heart is not where it needs to be. You'll bless them with a willingness to make it right today. We love you. We thank you so much for Jesus and his blood, and his sacrifice, and his hope of the resurrection. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives in us, and guides us, and reminds us about how powerful you are. It's with their help we pray today. Yeah.